0: So our story today is about the triumphal entry. It comes from Luke nineteen twenty-eight through 44, and John 12, 12 through 19, okay? It says, Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, and there were a lot of people on the road with them because it was almost time for Passover, the feast that celebrated God's rescue of Israel from slavery in Egypt hundreds of years before. Each year, thousands of people went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And when they reached Bethany, Jesus sent two of his disciples into the village to pick up a young donkey that they would find in a certain place. He said to untie the donkey and bring it here. If anyone asks you what you are doing, tell him, the Lord needs it. Sure enough, they found the colt tied up just as Jesus had described. And as the disciples began to untie it, the owners asked them, what are you doing? And the disciples said, the Lord needs it. And the owners let them have it. The disciples took the donkey to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and made a saddle. Jesus climbed onto the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. This fulfilled the words of the prophet Zechariah, who said the king of Jerusalem would come riding on the colt of a donkey. Zechariah's prophecy was coming true right before their eyes, but the disciples didn't realize that Jesus was fulfilling Zechariah's word until after he rose from the dead and was glorified. Then they remembered what had happened that day and finally understood it. It was about two miles from Bethany to Jerusalem, and Jesus rode past the Mount of Olives. A great crowd of people gathered along the road, and some of them had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. Others had heard about his miracles. Everyone was glad to see Jesus as he passed by. People threw their cloaks on the ground for him to ride on. Some people cut down palm branches and waved them, shouting, "'Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and be in the highest.'" Everyone was happy and excited about Jesus. What would he do next? Maybe he was coming to Jerusalem to solve all their problems. And so what we have is we have people who are worshiping. They're worshiping and waving these palm branches. How many of you think that most kings would ride in a town on a donkey? Right, zero. They would ride in maybe on this great horse. And they would lay a red carpet out before them, but all Jesus had was palm branches and people to lay their cloaks on the road. And so Jesus was coming in humility, but the people were so excited, and they were excited because they thought that Jesus was coming to redeem them and to rescue them from the Romans. And so one of the reasons that they were waving palm branches is it was sort of a political sign. Like if the president came to Mobile, we all would get our American flags right and start waving them in the air. So it was sort of a political sign that they were hoping that Jesus was coming to rescue them from the Roman Empire. But what was Jesus really coming to rescue them from? Their sin. That's right. And so the people, those very same people, the next week would be shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And the reason they would be shouting those things is because they misunderstood why Jesus came. He didn't come to make all their problems go away, and He didn't come to rescue them from the political woes of that day, but He actually came to rescue them from their own sin and their own corruption. And so it's very important for us today to realize that our greatest enemy is the sin that resides within, just as Fraser was telling us. It's our own sin that Jesus comes to rescue us from. So when we think about Palm Sunday, right... Let's not get caught up in all the hype like the people of that day and forget why Christ really came. And he came because you and I are both sinners and we need him to redeem us, okay? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for these stories in the scriptures, God, that remind us that our great enemy, God, is not the countries around the world, whether it be China or Russia or whoever it may be, but God, our greatest enemy is the sin that lives within each of us. And we thank you, God, that you provided a way for for that sin to to be eradicated, to be made right. And we thank you that Jesus came to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave on our behalf. And I pray that as we celebrate Easter this year, that our children and, God, we would understand that. That we need a Savior, but it's from an enemy that rests within our hearts. Jesus, we thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your humility. And we thank you for taking on our disgrace so that we might be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Go back to your seats.
1: Good word. I think uh, we might should just skip the sermon. And uh, Ryan pretty much nailed it. Uh, Of course, a read kid answered the question correctly. Very good. Uh, I was a little worried with Cam uh, holding the palm branch. I must be honest. But Cam, you did a great job with that. I think Miss Alyssa, the uh, children director here, she has some palm branches for every all the kids after the service. So we'll uh, let you get through the service, and you can grab those palm branches and uh, wave them in sword fights. We have children's church right now, ages 3 to 7. So 3 to 7, you're going to go down the fellowship hall, and have children's church if you'd like. Um, or you can hear what Ryan just said again. Uh, either way, you look at it. Um, one thing, just want to say a thank you to uh, Ashton and to Zach Carnes and uh, Ryan. We got a text this morning that the sound, machine, uh, the sound system here at Covenant uh, uh, went out, and so uh, on the last minute, uh, Ashton and those guys made it work, uh, brought, Ashton got this system, and pulled it off. So it's stressful, and, uh, and yet they did a great job and made it happen. So uh, thank you guys for making, that, for making that work. The underappreciated, but uh, so important. Thank you, Zach, uh, for making that happen. Uh, would you stand and uh, let's uh, read God's Word together. We are on um, Palm Sunday. We're finished with Ecclesiastes, and so... Thank the Lord. And we're in Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put, and put on them their cloaks and they sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks from the ground, and others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them from the road. And the crowds then that went before him, and the crowds with him followed, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this story, this anticipation, the drama, the narrative has come. Uh, Redemptive history comes to the week that it's highlighted where all of the world comes together. Um, Jew and Gentile in the person of Jesus and he enters in Jerusalem and we have this scene. Thank you for your word. God, we need to hear it. We need to understand it. We need to know it. Lord, I pray that you would use it. uh, Minister to us. Speak to our hearts. Connect with us. Give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, expectations are key, right? Um, if you've been married longer than a day, you know how important uh, expectations are. If you've done any counseling or been to counseling or counseled others, you know expectations are so important. If you say, uh, honey, I- I'll-, I'll be home around 6, but you don't text or call, and it's 8.30, 9 o'clock, and you come home, Ah, uh, mom ain't happy, right? Uh, expectations are important. If uh, if you, you you get the service man come over, you got a plumbing issue, and he says uh, it's gonna be five hundred bucks, and they do the work, and then you get the bill in the mail, and it's twenty five hundred bucks, and you're right because that's not what you expected. That's not what he told you. For kids, maybe you know you're, you're hungry for, for dinner, and you're like and your parents busy, and they say just a minute, right? Just a minute. And they come at it, just a minute, and just a minute, a few minutes ends up being like an hour and a half, and they're mad, and they're, they're hangry, and they're yelling. Because why? You, they expected just a few minutes, um, but it wasn't that. This passage is all about expectation. The Jewish expectation of who Jesus is and what he had come to do. Um, Ryan really laid it out, seriously, that the scene is Jesus coming in for Passover week, The Jews would gather uh, once a year and they would celebrate that great event where the angel of the Lord, remember in Exodus, the angel of the Lord, uh, also known as the angel of death, passed over the Jewish households that had the blood on the side and the doorpost. The 10th plague that Pharaoh would finally let the people go, but the angel passed over. And so every year God said, get together and commemorate. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. We're easy to forget. Remember what the Lord had done. And so people would rush to Jerusalem for the feast. They would come from all the areas. They would travel miles to come and celebrate. And Jesus is coming, and some are coming with him. He's got this entourage growing, and people from the, the small towns, the, the, the outer uh, outskirts are coming. And then some people from Jerusalem have heard, and they've gone out of the city to meet him, and they're going to escort him in to the city. And They're laying down their cloaks, their outer garments. They're laying palm branches down. Lots of excitement, passion, energy. Uh, Jerusalem's the place to be, right? You want to be in Jerusalem. Um, It's it's happening. Let's look at the scene uh, more closely. We're going to look at a couple things. One, what were the Jews expecting? What were they expecting? What did they get? And uh, how does that relate to us? So what? So what were they expecting? What did they get? How does it relate to us? First, what were they expecting? Inevitably, some were in it for the hype, right? There's always those folks, right? There's always the the, the alongs the ambulance chasers, you know. Uh, I know there's a few coaches in the room, you know, the, the bandwagon, you know, and things going well, they jump on, they're in for the crowd, they're in for the excitement, but uh, they just follow along. It's the celebrity sighting outside Jerusalem. The text says, when they came to Bethpage... Um, but the account in, in, in Luke says when they came to Bethany in Bethpage, and that's important because Jesus had a friend in Bethany. Do you remember his friend? His friend was named Lazarus. And Lazarus was sick. Um, and Mary and, and uh, Mary and Martha, they wanted Jesus to come, and they thought if Jesus can come, Jesus will heal Lazarus. He'll be okay. And they called for him, and Jesus heard the news, and he was so troubled that he waited three days to come to Bethany, right? Not in a hurry. And Jesus gets to Bethany and Lazarus is dead. And how do you think the ladies responded? Their expectations were Jesus was going to come and heal, but he was slow and he died. And they were angry and they were frustrated and they were mad. And Jesus said, the, the, the tomb, the, the stone, rolled out away. And they rolled away. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And this dead man arises and comes out of the grave. And the place is on fire, right? <laughs> Can you believe it? And so this small community, this suburb, small town—the words gets out from Bethany to Bethpage to Jerusalem. No doubt, the word is spreading. This is the big guy, and so there's a sort of celebrity status. And so people are curious; they want to know. The text says that they were all abuzz in the city about this man. Some come for the hype, but but others were probably come for more serious reasons, uh, more noble reasons. They had deeper hopes and dreams on the line. Throwing down their cloaks was a sign that Jesus was the king. It was a sign of royalty. to throw your cloak down in submission, to let him to go over. It was a sign of, "The king is coming. He's coming in. They did this in the Old Testament with Jehu and Hezekiah, the Old Testament kings. And now Jesus is coming, and the Israelites have this idea. Some of them deeply hope this is the one, and so they, they throw their cloaks down for him. They didn't think he was just any king, they thought he was a king like David, that he was in the line of the Messiah, the anointed one, that he would be the one to redeem Israel, that he would make it right. Their hope was growing, expectation, anticipation. They were excited this is the one. And what was that hope? The Romans, right? They've been ruled. They've been in exile. The Syrians, the Babylonians, then the Greeks, and the Romans now, the great Roman Empire. But the Messiah was coming, the anointed one. He was going to kick out the Romans. He would establish Israel, reestablish them in prominence and power. A king like David. So they shout, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, you know what it means? In Hebrew it means save now. Save. Save, Son of David. Save. Praise. They're screaming it. The Jews wanted a Savior. They wanted a Messiah. To redeem them politically, militarily. And they saw Jesus as this figure. Their expectations were for political and national salvation. The sign of palm branches, as Ryan just said, was symbolic of Jewish nationalism and triumph. Um, the Bible's silent from 400 or so till we get John the Baptist. We get Matthew, or the first Gospels. But in that that silent period, there's still Jewish history takes place, right? And the Jews have several revolts against the different the Greeks against the Romans they're constantly having these and one of those is the Maccabees and the Maccabean revolt some 150 or so BC before Jesus comes Judah Maccabee he leads a revolt and they for a brief time the Jews are free and they rededicate the temple and there's hope for Jewish nationalism and what do they do when Judah Maccabee comes in they run out of the city and they grab him they they welcome him in like they did with Jesus and they throw palm branches they they wave the American flag right it's nationalism, it's celebration surely. This was in the Jews minds. This is one even greater than Judah Maccabee or any of the Maccabees. This is one of the son of David. He's going to redeem us. He's going to save us. They knew it. They'd heard, they saw the miracle with Lazarus. They, they knew he, he'd done other miracles. They'd heard of water to wine. They heard people blind can heal. He's doing all the things they knew their Old Testament. You get the idea? Expectations, hopes, longings were high. They expected a political, military, an overthrow. What'd they get? What'd they get? Well, they got a king. Number two, what'd they get? They got a king. They were right about that. He is the Messiah King. He is the Son of David. They had described and praised him well. Notice the, his authority. It says, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, surely they will. You're taking their animals. You shall say, the Lord needs them, and they will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, He goes on to say in verse 5 and then verse 6, it says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. He's a king. He, he, he knows what authority is. He speaks, and they do it. Go do this. I'll tell you where it's going to be. It reveals something of his divine omniscience. He knows where it's going to be. And when they say, what are you doing with taking our animals, tell them the Lord. Curios, the Lord, the master wants them, and they'll be cool with it. And they'll just let you take the animal. <laughs> and that's what happens. And then in verse 6, the disciples, they went and did as he directed They knew his authority, they knew his command. Jesus did what the scriptures said he would do. He's fulfilling the Old Testament. Says uh, the the prophets had spoken, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, that's, that's the inhabitants of Jerusalem, say to them, Behold, your king is coming. So they're looking for a king, and they're right. He is the king, he is the Messiah. They knew their Old Testament. He's a king with authority and with power. One the prophets had spoken of. It's he. But he's a different kind of king, right? <laughs> There's a catch. High expectations. He's a humble king. He's a meek king. He's a, he's a king with a different plan. He, he's on a colt. It's a, it's a young donkey. And he rides into Jerusalem, the Messiah on a donkey. Um, Jesus is trying to make the point with the donkey. <laughs> see, kings in war, military kings, what do they ride? They are the horse, right? The war horse. Uh, if you've studied history, you, you see the great battles and the kings that lead, they're on the horse. Uh, Attila, you know, the great hun, He. He, he's always on the war horse, and he slaughters, and they sack Rome, and they pillage, and he's on the horse of power, and strength, and might, and here comes Jesus on the donkey. <laughs> right? Anticlimactic image. The great Israel hope on the donkey coming down the road. He's on the donkey. The donkey, if you see a king on a donkey, it's a sign. There, there, are, there are examples in history. It's a sign of peace. It's not a sign of war. It's not a sign of conquer. It's not a sign of battle. It's a sign of peace. The, the, the verse that uh, Jasmine read, Zechariah 9:10, says this. It highlights the peace. He says this. The prophecy says this. This Messiah, he will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. Do you see all the symbolic language? The the chariots, the the vehicle of war, no more. The war horses will take a donkey. They're not needed. The message is uh, the battle bow will be broken. It's not bows and arrows, right? There's no armor, there's no weaponry. They're broken, they're not needed. The message is not attack. The message is peace to the nations, reconciliation. He shall rule from sea to sea, his kingdom. He's a king, but he's not like the one he, they expected. He comes in peace. If the people didn't catch, he tried to tell him with the donkey, right? <laughs> you, you know, uh, you know when you're blind and you, you only see what you want to see, right? You know that, that person, you. you Maybe you dated in high school or college, and everybody's like, "Dude, you shouldn't be dating her. You shouldn't be dating him." Like everybody's telling you all the signs, you know. Or maybe that car you really want it, but everybody's like, "That's not a good investment. You shouldn't buy it." But you are fixed on that thing, and you're going to do it right. The heart, your pride, you're set on it. He's coming in a donkey. There's there's no armor. There's no military speech. There's no brave heart moment, you know. There's no. He's coming, up and they're they're like, take over Jerusalem, right? Let's take over. They get crowds gathering, and Jesus is plodding along, the Prince of Peace. But they see what they want to see. They're thirsty for war. They're thirsty for, for violence, for freedom from the oppressors. But they miss it. I uh, I was with a friend this week. He's a missionary in Peru, and uh, you know it's cool. Some of you are just talking about. Ministry and like, there makes a connection. You're like, oh, I'm actually talking about this Sunday. It's really odd, but he's talking about this political group uh, in Peru, and he says this political group actually caused a lot of problems for the Christians and for the church. Um, Los Israelates is what he says. Great Spanish, right? Uh, he, he says that they uh, they become a political power, and he says uh, their name basically means the Israelites. They see themselves. Politically, they see Peru as the new Israel. They think Peru is the new Israel. And so they're gaining political power, but the people, they're they're corrupt, and the people are like, what are these, it's a cult, what are they doing? And so it's hurting the true testimony of the church and of faithful witness, because this political group thinks they're going to reestablish the purity of Israel through a political military leader. He's telling me this, I'm like, really, I'm preaching, Is is that possible? It's happening today. Now, we can't throw too many stones, right? I don't care if you're on the right or on your left. It was the former president or the current president. There's a lot of people in our world that think our hopes and dreams rest on politics, don't they? If we just get him in, if we get, he continues in, or she's whoever it may be, hopes, our dreams, our longings, political. Israel had the hopes the kingdom would come through political, military power. The crowd expected a, a military, political king, but they got a humble king on a donkey. What does that mean for us? How does that relate to us? Um, expectations. What, uh, what, do, what do you expect from Jesus? what do we expect our expectations right here's just a few thoughts few expectations what do we expect we expect Jesus to give us the good life don't we Like we think we come to Jesus we become a Christian uh, we marry the right person we make the money we get the house like life just works we we don't say that out loud we're too spiritual um, but subconsciously, we believe if we do the Jesus thing, it just works out. Life is easy. Life works out. It happens. We, that's our expectation. We get what we want. We think in cause and effect. If we, if we do this the right way, if we, uh, if we love Jesus, if we do enough religious stuff, maybe give some money, we're compassionate, then life will work out the way we want it to work out. It's cause and effect. Now, we've done the Proverbs thing, right? We've done Ecclesiastes, and so we know there's some truth to that. Generally, the way to live produces this outcome. There's two ways to live, right? The righteous, the wise, and the folly of the wicked. Generally, we do this, it turns out. Generally, go down this path, and this is what comes out of it. But then we have Ecclesiastes. Hopefully, we've learned something over 20 weeks of Ecclesiastes. Or Job. That's not how it always works, Right? Sometimes the righteous die young, right? The, the, the missionary, given their life, dies at 27 on the mission field. Sometimes the wicked prosper and live in old age. Sometimes it's the wealth is, is not a sign of blessing, but of curse and the poor are actually blessed. Sometimes the, the faithful suffer. We expect the good life. We expect that our expectations are we get to sort of barter with God. If we do the right things, do the right steps, God is somehow indebted to give us what we really want, and that is all these things in life. We expect a good life. We also we expect Jesus uh, to give us a fair life, a fair life. Um, uh, one of the things uh, it's it's interesting in Scripture, but is you know it's. Okay Okay, okay, if life's hard, um, life's about, there's there's struggle, there's suffering, there's difficulty. I'm okay with that as long as we're all going through that. But the problem is, like, suffering and trials aren't dispersed equitably. Our trials aren't the same. Uh, One godly person dies of cancer, and one is healed. You know, uh, one uh, godly person in the company uh, gets promoted and one uh, loses their job. You know, a guy that's been in the same job for 25 years, been faithful, godly man, uh, recently lost his job. Seemingly no reason. If it's equitable, it's all fair, fair meaning our own standard of fair and justice, what we think is fair and right, we're okay with that. That's the playing field. Sins cause the broken world, but we're all in it. But what happens when some prosper and others struggle? I'm reminded of the story in John 21. Do you remember that? Jesus says uh, to Peter, Peter denies Jesus three times, and then at the very end, I love it. It's so good. He says, uh, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do, do you love me, Jesus says. And he says, yes, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Of course Right? Jesus is reinstating him, right? He's dignifying him. Three times denied, three times reinstated. And then he says, the death he's gonna suffer, he's gonna be martyred. Jesus gives him a, a prophecy about how he's gonna die. <laughs> and it's not good. And Peter, he's, he, he just got loved on by the one he denied. Says, What about John? You remember the story? What's gonna happen to? I mean, I'm gonna be what's gonna happen to John? And Jesus says these words. If it is my will that he, John, remains till it comes, what's it to you? Follow me. That's what he says. Who cares about John? I'm talking to you, Peter. This is your life. This is your calling. This is your journey. We expect it to be equitable, but it's not. Your journey is not my journey. We're together. We should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're committed to the body together, but in the body it's disproportionate. We're called on the journey together. But we expect it to be fair in our terms. We wrap up, summarize our expectation. We expect it to be easy. We expect it to be fair. I think the basic way I'd say it is um, we expect far too little from Jesus. At the very end of the passage, he says, some say, who is this? And the crowd say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, they could mean prophet as a, a dignified term, like, prophet of, like Moses, or like Elijah, someone prominent. But they've undersold who he is. He's just a prophet in the line of great prophets. We expect... Their expectations are too little. We expect too... It's not we expect too much. It's not our sights are too high. It's our sights, our expectations are too low. We want ease. We want comfort. We want to meet the right person. We want to make enough money. We want a good retirement. We want to have our kids to turn out all right. We want a good, you know, investment. We want a vacation. We want a decent sex life. We want good food. We want nice clothes. We want these things to work out for us. And that's kind of what we want we want the, the prophet, make my life better. Take Rome out of the picture, please. They're a nuisance. We're disappointed because, not because we dream too much, but too little. You know, we want to do a remodel, you know. We want new countertops. <laughs> you know, I want the bathroom tile. we got to do the bathroom tile. And Jesus wants to come into our life, and he wants to bulldoze the whole thing. And he wants to recreate and make something new in his own image. It's the hard part about preaching this because Hosanna is the right claim. They're saying the right things, but they have no idea what they're saying. They're actually screaming, save, save, but they mean militarily, politically, but he's about to save in the real way, in the real sense, isn't he? He didn't come to help us with our pet sin. Jesus, I, I, my wife's a therapist. I'm, about, I'm for, for therapy. Jesus is not uh, self-help. He, he's not therapy. He's not helping us with our pet sin. He's not helping us with our gossiping. He's not helping us with our body image issues. He, he's not helping us with any of that stuff. He is trying to remake us and renew us and change us. He's dealing with something core, deep. He's dealing with our soul, which means he's going to He's going to mess with us. <laughs> He's going to wreck us. He's going to break us down. It's always, right, we say this, death before resurrection. I'd just rather to jump over the death part and the resurrection part. I want the life, the good life. They missed it. The expectations they missed it. The, 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 pro, the Roman problem was a small problem. Yeah, greatest empire, yeah, Pax Romana, the spread, yeah. That was just a little problem. The bigger problem wasn't horizontal. I mean, the, the problem wasn't primarily hor- horizontal, it was vertical. It was man's chief end. Fraser said it earlier our, our chief problem is the God problem. It's a sin problem, it's a heart problem. Um, we can make it over outwardly, but this has to be changed, and we can't change it on our own. And so they're saying something to do. They they want to do something so little and so small. And he's on a donkey come to town, and they're they're praising him. And can you imagine within his mind? You have no idea. I mean, the cross is not a make my life better initiative. Like, I just need a little help in this one area. You You don't die and suffer and crucify for that. He dies to remake us for a heart transplant, to change the very core trajectory, to take on, absorb the wrath of God that was for sinners, to take it and to swallow the wrath and drink it, absorb it, death in the grave. He came to deal with that problem, to be forgiven. He makes a blood commitment Make us a new creation. Do you see the irony of the whole thing? We're going to finish here. The irony of the whole thing Jesus came to earth to deal with the false expectations that they're lauding him for as he enters in. The false expectations would create a problem. What do you do when your expectations aren't met? Um, I'm gonna show this in just a second. Don't don't click it just yet. But do you, uh, Lebron James, right? Everybody know Lebron James, plays for the Lakers basketball. So he's a he's a phenom high school, right? He's uh, Akron, Ohio, Ohio boy, two-time Gatorade Player of the Year, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, greatest high school player. He's gonna forego the NBA. I mean, forego college straight to the NBA. And who gets him? The Cleveland Cavs, right? I mean, this is a, this is a movie, right? the, the hometown boy becomes the and, and they love him. What do they call him? King James. He's the king. I mean, the man, right? Everything's about LeBron. Everything's about LeBron until what? Until 2010, the decision. You remember the decision, Michael? basketball guy. Decision. LeBron is a free agent. He's done pretty well in Cleveland. They were in the dumps. They didn't win anything yet. Done pretty well. But he's going to take his talents to South Beach. He's going to join Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade in the Miami Heat. What uh, what happened to the Cleveland fans? We got the the picture up there? I don't know if you can see it. This is is one picture of about a million I found on the Internet. This is is the beloved fans uh, burning LeBron James' jersey. Turn to the next one. This is when he came back. Akron hates you too, LeBron. These These are hometown, right? Liar, baby jerk. It's like an elementary school thing. Mini pants, you know. Uh, his father, LeBron's father's in jail. Like father, like son. You're only a prince <laughs> uh, In Wade's country, Dwayne Wade. You can, you can move off of that. Um, um, we're not too different, though, are we? The same people, when he came in, they're throwing down their cloaks and palm branches. Hosanna, the son of David, say, blessed is he. Four days later, what are they saying? What are they saying? Crucify him. Crucify him. Pontius Pilate, the Romans, I don't want to get involved in this. We'll let Barabbas go. No, no, no. Not Barabbas. Jesus. He's got to pay. He didn't meet our expectations. We're going to crucify him. So they said about LeBron. Right? We we use that term when someone they crucified, Man, they crucified that guy. Poor guy. They crucified him right? metaphorically. Expectations aren't met. We crucify. What do you do when your expectations aren't met? We kick and scream. Right? We throw a fit. We flail. Um, we don't get what we want my thought for us is uh, Jesus came to die he came in Jerusalem he came for the purpose he came for people that would yell crucify him because his grace he he endured that they didn't understand they wouldn't get it they would betray him that they might be saved the irony is what they're saying is what he's actually doing. It's going to go bleed and die. Your expectation to Jesus, he's trying to remake you. He's trying to change us. He wants far more than the material. He wants far more than the surfacing. He wants to renew our hearts. And our response is uh, that of a king is, uh, that just came off. Is to I Just hold this. What do I do? <laughs> Awkward moment. Grab blower from now on. What's our response? We they were actually doing the right thing. Let's just bow down. Let's surrender. Let's give up our give up your campaign. Give up. Give up your agenda. It's not wrong to dream, dream, hope, but just dream bigger. Dream that. That my life would be made new, that I would have a passion and a vision for what God wants, that my, He would do something radical in my marriage and our, my kids, and my job. i would have a sort of purpose and meaning. He's not, just, he's not just trying to make it a little better, He's trying to deal with your heart. We you surrender your expectations, we you name them, we trust Him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, this word, you are the Lord. Um, we trust you not very well and uh, not very consistently, but we trust you. Would you uh, remake us? Would You make us new. Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, the The the, uh, the cult is called a beast of burden. It's a beast of burden. It's it's ironic, and Jesus' burden would be he would be bearing going to Jerusalem. He would be doing what no other God does. If you read history, you read philosophy, you read a worldview, mythology, no God uh, dies for his people. <laughs> gods wave the sword, gods wave the power. They don't give themselves to be crucified, to be killed by their subjects, uh, but only Jesus does. We come because he dies, he gives himself. This is the meal for us. We've heard the word spoken, we hear the word through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Who is this for? This table is for anyone that puts their faith in Jesus. It's not for uh, members of this church only. If you trust Jesus, you claim Him. This table is for you. Um, Those that bend the knee and those that know we need grace, we need this, we know. We're in the crowd yelling Hosanna and then we're also in the crowd yelling crucify Him and we're caught somewhere in between. If you can name that about yourself, then this table's for you. to pray as we set these elements aside Lord Jesus thank you for bread and wine simple things we do every day we eat and drink and yet we do it fresh together here to remind us that we have something in our mouth bread we taste and say the gospel is true it's real we, we taste and we touch and we smell and we remember we tell ourselves we, we eat together in a small way saying yes it's true it's true Now we know it in our very depths pray in Jesus name Amen. It was that same Passover week. A few weeks, a few days later, Jesus would be in the upper room with his disciples. They're celebrating the Passover, that great meal God passed over. And Jesus takes the bread and he giving thanks, he breaks it. He says, This is my body. It's been broken. For you. Likewise, he takes the cup and he says, This cup is a new covenant. You know the old covenant, the one uh, with, with Moses and David. This is a new covenant. It's not forged with, with the blood of bulls and goats, but it's actually forged in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. That we would be right with God. We'd be right vertically, that we might be right horizontally. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim together the Lord's death until he comes again. For those that feel comfortable, we're going to